Good morning. So last week we took a bit of a break from our year of biblical literacy to celebrate Easter together. Uh, and hopefully many of you were able to join us for that. As we transition out of the Eastern se Easter season, uh, we're diving back into our year of biblical literacy and we're starting a, a season of really diving into the prophets. So over the next few weeks, you'll have sermons that focus on the prophetic books of the Old Testament. And my task today is to sort of give you a 10,000 foot view of, of the prophets and who they are. So let's just pray together real quick. God, thank you for the opportunity to come together this morning. Thank you for the chance to be in a space where we can learn more about you and, and be in community. Lord, I pray that this morning, as, as the sermon is given, that your voice be heard, Lord, that I get out of the way so that you can be present. Um, Lord, as we come together, wherever we're at, I hope that this message, Lord, can, can speak to each person. In your loving name, amen. Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth. For the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, and the donkey its owner's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. As I mentioned before, I used to be a teacher. And in fact, sometimes I still teach standardized test prep. I talk a lot about your first couple sentences of an essay being meant to grab the attention of the reader. That if they don't like your first few sentences, they'll stop reading before they get to the good stuff. Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. As followers of Jesus, we often look to the prophets of the Old Testament as revered men and women of God. With equal commitment, we avoid reading any of their writings. Perhaps it is because, like in Isaiah, the first couple lines seem to always be about doom and gloom, and we're just not interested. Perhaps it is because prophetic writings in the Old Testament are written poetically, making it difficult for even the most astute Hebrew scholar to fully understand what is being said. And perhaps it's because we feel that the prophets are outdated, that messages in the prophets are for a different time and a different nation, or that we don't have the context to understand prophetic writings. In fact, when exploring prophetic writings, there was near universal agreement on one fact, and that was that they're difficult to engage with. Yet in this sermon, I want to begin to unpack the question, what manner of person is the prophet? I want to talk about three things. Who is the prophet? What is the role of the prophet? And why should we care today? I want to begin by diving into just a little bit of background. 
First, the Hebrew word used for prophet is navi, which means either one who calls out or one who is called. Both definitions seem pretty fitting for the role of a prophet. Prophetic writings cover numerous important eras of Jewish history, including the unified kingdom under Davidic rule and his followers, the dual kingdom when Israel split into Judah and Israel, the single kingdom, exile, and post-exile. You'll see a little bit of a graph. Don't worry about it. It's just for those of you who like pictures, right? That's what it's for. Um, And if you don't want to listen to me, you can just start reading up there, and you're like, great, this is far more interesting. So prophetic writings capture an engagement with the nation of Israel, and particularly with its political structure that spans centuries. So who is the prophet? Also have included comics to lighten it a little bit, right? Prophets are not generally seen as happy books, and so for for some relief, there'll be some comics throughout the time. Um, But yeah, there, there is this question, who is the prophet? Or more aptly, what makes a prophet a prophet. Prophets were individuals who were envoys of God. They would speak as an envoy, as a king, uh, king's envoy would speak. So just like messengers in the ancient times when you couldn't tweet out your every feeling, a king would send a person who would pronounce, thus says the king. Likewise, prophets would begin their declarations, thus says Yahweh. This is important. Just as the envoy of the king was literally the voice of the king, speaking as the king as though he was there, prophets speak for God. They're they're not merely making statements, but they're instead standing in place as a proclamation of his divine will and his divine word. It is literally God speaking to his people. I want to dissuade a few, um, I think, fallacies that we sometimes think about when we, when we hear the word prophet. And the first is that we often think of prophets as radicals, right? Prophets are outsiders yelling at everyone, telling them to change their way, not very liked. Um, they're, they're demanding justice, right? They're, they're screaming out to people and challenging the people in power. But in fact, biblical prophets are quite conservative. Their entire purpose is to urge God's people to stay true to their roots, true to God's calling for them. We also often associate prophecy with future telling. However, predicting the future was not the primary component of the prophetic task in the Israelite world. In fact, the basic function was to analyze political policies, and social conditions in light of God's demand for justice, for loyalty, and for faith in him. The prophet is fundamentally concerned that these moral and religious principles govern the corporate and personal lives of God's people. Another falsity in how we think about the prophet is that we assume that the prophets were special people chosen from the elite for an honorific job. However, many prophets were not afraid to express deep disdain at their calling. In fact, Jeremiah wrote, Cursed be the day on which I was born, because he did not kill me in the womb, so my mother would have been my grave. Why did I come forth out of the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? 
Many of us might be familiar with the story of Jonah, who, as we all know, attempted to flee from his calling as a prophet to Nineveh. And only after being thrown into the water, swallowed by a whale, and dropped off at the foot of Nineveh, did he comply. Only to later find that God didn't even follow through with his prophecy, so I feel like he was also very bitter about the idea that he made this huge prophecy and it didn't come to be. But that's a whole other story. Either way, Jonah was not happy that he was a prophet. Um, in fact, the prophets have a way of making everyone a bit uncomfortable. We all know that person, right? You're having a lighthearted conversation, and then someone says something very serious or very real, and it just ruins the entire mood of the conversation. In fact, you might be that person. <laughs> Abraham Herschel, who wrote a book called The Prophet, uh, said it this way, to the patriots they seemed pernicious, to the pious multitude blasphemous, and to the men in authority seditious. Effectively, no one liked them. They were not invited to parties, they did not get the Facebook invites. Or the, what are the new ones, the evites that pop up on your computer? Um, in fact, the prophet Amos goes as far to say this. Proclaim to the strongholds in Syria and to the strongholds in the land of Egypt and say, assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressions in her midst. The prophet Amos is literally saying that we should tell all of our enemies about how terrible Israel is, how terrible God's nation is. I could imagine that hearing this ruffled a few feathers in the ruling class. Beyond not being liked among the elites, prophets weren't necessarily people of high class either. Of course, we had Isaiah, who seemed to be from a distinguished Jewish family and familiar with the royal court, and there was Jeremiah, who was a priest. But we also had Amos, who was a herdsman and tender of sycamore fruit. And Hosea, a married father of three, who was likely either a farmer or a baker. The point is that prophets could come from anywhere. The only requirement seems to be divine calling from God. So why is this important? Because God can speak through anyone. It is not the resume that makes the prophet, nor is it the social or political class. It is the divine and the divine alone that chooses who he speaks through to his people. So then why did God call the prophets? We could spend a lot longer on this question, but I want to highlight three purposes of the prophet. The first is that the prophet challenges complacency. If we continue to read in Isaiah, we see him speak Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. The people of Israel were complacent. They had moved on from a people focused on God and instead became a people focused on themselves. Divine justice for the Israelites became an afterthought to personal fulfillment. They cared for themselves, then their family, then perhaps their friends. 
but felt no need to care for others. The prophet speaks a completely different standard. While the average person would see the moral state of society for all its stains and spots to be acceptable, livable, workable. But to the prophet, it is dreadful. It is abhorrent. It is catastrophic. The average person points to acts of charity and the decency shown to a brother in a moment of goodwill. And in fact, don't we often point to the positives, focus on the good deeds, the pluses? The prophet, however, can't ignore pain and suffering that cries out because God can't ignore pain and suffering that cries out. The prophet sees complacency with good enough as flight from responsibility and will not tolerate it. As Herschel puts it so eloquently, for the prophet, the frankincense of charity fails to sweeten cruelties. Our good can't mask the bad in the world. Isaiah is called to declare the transgressions of Israel. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression. To the house of Jacob, their sin. Hosea proclaims, you have plowed wickedness. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies. Because you have trusted in your way, in your warriors. And just as Israel was complacent, having received the promised land from God and having turned to their own way, the prophets speak into our lives now, into our own complacency with the world today. Brothers and sisters, we have muted our hearts to the pain and suffering around us. When we walk down the streets, we look up because we don't want God to speak to us when we look down. We have justified a me-first philosophy and forbade the prophets to speak to us. Are we not in equal need of the voice of Isaiah calling us out on our transgressions? Are we not in need of the wake-up call the prophets provided to Israel? But the role of the prophet was not just to call out complacency. In fact, prophetic statements were often meant to challenge institution, the temple, the kingship, the political structures. Still in his introduction, Isaiah continues to speak on behalf of the Lord. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? This trampling of my courts. This is when God gets angry. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your New moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing 
burying them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. And even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. It's like 52 chapters in Isaiah. This is like five verses, right? I understand why people say, oh, we're going to skip to the happy part, right? This is God's voice speaking to his people, right? The translation is something like your religion sucks and your traditions are void of meaning to me. Isaiah was just more poetic about it. <laughs> Isaiah is not the only one that shares this message to Israel, Jeremiah speaks similarly, stating in chapter 6, verse 20, that the burnt offerings are not acceptable and the sacrifices are not pleasing to the Lord. Now this, this had to be hard for the people to hear. This had to upset people in power, the, particularly the people in religious power. I can imagine the pious responding, but Lord, we're doing what you commanded. We are sacrificing as you commanded. We're giving to the temple as you commanded. We're gathering as you commanded. I could see the institution saying, but Lord, we're acting on your behalf. We're shepherding your people. We're doing it the way that your list told us to. I can see the pious people of Israel saying, but we have the checklist and we're checking everything off. I can see it saying, but I give to charity. But I volunteer once a month. But... I say hello to people, but I didn't tell that person that deserved it that they're a jerk, right? But I hide my emotions. We can come up with lots of excuses, but God, we're good enough, right? And God, through his prophets, is saying, I see behind your mask. Your heart is not worshiping me. That's all I want. The prophet also understands that religious Religion distorts what the Lord demanded of man. That priests commit perjury and bear false witness. That kings and religious leaders condone violence and tolerate hatred. The prophet's heart is in line with God's heart and is compelled to break down institutions that place themselves in the way of God's divine calling for each of us. And this is so very counterintuitive, particularly in biblical times. Israel was not just a nation sitting out with no one around them. They had surrounding nations. And most of these nations would subscribe to the belief that the greater the king, the greater the conquest, the greater the political movement forward, the greater the God must be. Right? And that the fancier and more lavish the, lavish the ceremony and sacrifice translates to more reverence and value for the deity being worshipped. But God, through his prophets, says, I am not bought by show. I am worshipped by love. I am worshipped by how you love others. So prophets are meant to challenge complacency. They're meant to challenge institutions. And finally, and perhaps most important, prophets are meant to pull us back to God's vision for our lives. In Isaiah, we read in chapter 1, verse 16 through 17, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds 
out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the cause of the widow. The prophets paint a bleak picture of the society they are speaking to. Amos writes that the people of Israel sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes. They trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. Amos here is likely speaking of a practice similar to indentured servitude or a debtor's prison. The word righteous here can also be translated as innocent. This theme is mirrored in Jesus' ministry in Matthew 18, 21 through 35, where he shares a parable of two debtors. Jesus tells us of a servant who owes a lot of money, right? what would probably be equivalent to millions of dollars today, to the king. The king brings the servant before him, and the, the servant pleads and says, King, please forgive my debts. I can't pay it. Don't throw me and my family into jail. And the king forgives him. What does the servant do afterwards? Some of you know this story. He goes to someone who owes him maybe, a, you know, a hundred gold co coins or so and demands payment. The person cannot pay, so he has him thrown into jail. Now, clearly the king was upset by this. The king said, I had forgiven you of so much. How could you not forgive of so little? But what's interesting and what's important here for us to understand is that the servant had every legal right to do what they did. This person owed them money. It was legal to enforce that debt through some sort of servitude or debtor's jail. And the king also had every legal right to do what he did. But here again, it's not that the Israelites are acting against the law of man by trying to collect their debt. But Amos, as a prophet, is calling the people of Israel back to the heart of God. Herschel puts it this way. This is one of my favorite quotes from him. There is a living God who cares. Justice is more than an idea or a norm. Justice is a divine concern. What obtains between God and his people is not only a covenant of mutual obligation, but also a relationship of mutual concern. The message of God is not an impersonal accusation, but the utterance of a redeemer who is pained by the misdeeds of his people. Prophets are called to be assayers, messengers, witnesses, watchmen, servants. Prophetic utterances express divine fellowship with the feelings of God, a sympathy with the divine pathos, and a communion with the divine consciousness. Over the next few weeks, we as a church will be exploring prophetic voices from the Old Testament. While the prophets recorded in the Old Testament are speaking to a specific population in a specific historical context, prophetic words still matter today. The same challenges that plagued the nation of Israel, complacency, 
structural oppression and legalism and idolatry. These challenge us today. And the same God of Israel is calling each of us back to him. The prophetic voices of Israel are meant to be uncomfortable. They are meant to be wrestled with. It is through that wrestling that these prophetic voices pull us back to God's heart for others. God's divine concern for justice. As Herschel notes, the prophet's words are outbursts of violent emotion. His rebuke is harsh and relentless. But if such deep sensitivity to evil is to be called hysterical, what name should be given to the abysmal indifference to evil which the prophet bewails? Let us pray. Father, thank you for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for your prophetic voices in our life. We pray that as we walk out of this church that you open our ears to your voice and you open our hearts to your divine concern. Lord, we pray that we hear your voice challenging our own complacency, that we hear your voice challenging institutions, that we hear your voice challenging our own idolatry, that you, Lord, bring us back to your vision for our lives. In your name, amen.